Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call, did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of Kim Jong-un's biggest fan to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. The logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the Gish Gallop. So the Gish Gallop is a method of debating, really, rather than a kind of... Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it is a logical fallacy because it's a bad way of making an argument. But, but actually... It, often incorporates a lot of logical fallacies kind of within it. Because what it is, is when you present lots and lots of arguments, like we talked about the other week with kettle logic, but the Mm. the point isn't Mm. to confuse people and to to give, you know, different defences of something, but lots of different arguments that are are separate and usually quite weakly argued or, or have very little evidential basis, sometimes completely untrue. But because you do... Right do so many of them in a row it actually yeah. is quite difficult to to refute and it's used often in a kind of a debate type context because you usually only have a specific amount of time and it's a lot quicker right. to say bullshit than it is to refute right. bullshit because you can yeah, make yeah. up any old crap and just say it again and again or say multiple different yeah. versions of it but in order yeah. to point out how and why and what the context is for something actually not being true or not being well argued or evidential that takes a lot longer yeah so it means people can't put the same amount of effort into um looking at every single thing you say because it would take way too long and it's actually quite boring to listen to in a debate to someone actually giving the facts of why every single thing is is wrong (laughs) that you've just said is wrong. Yeah. So I guess so. the implication of it be it's done at a gallop, it's done at at full speed, so it's not a, you know, this the gish gallop is delivered at a rapid fire. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's often a lot of crazy, stupid things said all in one go, one after the other. Is Trump good at this then? Yeah, Yeah, Trump is is excellent at this, yeah. Uh, Our our example from Trump in this is, is not a clip because this is something which, which although it, it is done in often kind of rapid fire technique, it can happen over yep. a period of time when you're saying lots of stuff. Okay. So it's difficult to, to explore clips on really, although I think Mark's got some later on. But this is a, a, a New York Times interview that Trump gave, which took about half an hour to do. And they recorded it mm-hmm. and they transcribed it. And this was in December of 2017. And Washington Post fact-checked it, and they said he made 24 false or misleading claims during this 30-minute interview. So, Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Obviously, the, the reporter who was um, interviewing him couldn't, at the time, say all of the reasons why the things he was saying weren't true. Yeah. Washington Post yeah. and other fact-checkers did afterwards, and they do with, with Trump's claims. But it does take yeah. time to, to not only yeah. say what, was wrong with what he said, but also do the research, frankly, and look into exactly what's true and what isn't true and the context of things. Some things are are a bit quicker. Like, for example, one of the things he said in the interview was talking about his endorsement of Luther Strange, who was when 
Trump endorsed him doing very poorly in the polls. Yeah. He said, I was for Strange and I bought Strange up 20 points, just so you understand. When I endorsed him, he was in fifth place. He went way up, almost 20 points. Now, Luther Strange was was in a a race with two other people. (laughs) So he literally can't have been in fifth place. And in fact, he (laughs) he lost by a greater margin than he was trailing by when Trump decided to endorse him. So <laughs> so yeah, he did end up in fifth place. He yeah. did very poorly indeed. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's that, that kind of thing is quite easy and quick to point out what's wrong with it. Yeah. Some things are a lot more complicated. Like one of the other things he said was, he said, we've spent as of about a month ago, $7 trillion in the Middle East. He said this a number of times. He, in fact, he used to say $6 trillion. Mm. But what he's right. doing, and if you want to kind of explain why he's come up with this figure and what it means and, and the context of it is that yeah. the all of the wars in the Middle East from the early 2000s in Iraq and Afghanistan, which technically is in South Asia rather than the Middle East, yeah. the, the wars themselves cost about $1.6 trillion. But Trump right. is including all of the predicted future spending such as things like caring for veterans over the next 30 years. Okay, wow. Yeah. So yeah. it's not true to say, as of about a month ago, we've spent $7 trillion in the Middle East. And the point he's making is, you know, and the Middle East is still terrible. It's not, it hasn't, you know, we've spent all this money, we've done all these wars and it hasn't got any better. So we should stop spending yep. money, basically. But we haven't spent that money. We spent a fraction of that money yeah, with a recognition yeah. that, because of the wars, there is going to be ongoing cost for that to the American yeah. government. So yeah, that's something that takes time to put into context when it's actually really quick to say. Yeah, and it yes, exactly. And it is it carries a lot less impact yeah. to say, you know, as of now we are we've spent one point seven trillion and we're committed to a further five point three trillion yeah. over the next thirty years, people just go, Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was not too bad. You know, over the next 30 years, <laughs> that's nothing. Uh, but yeah, so it kind of, the whole point of doing the Gish Gallop is to command the space, yeah. be in charge of all the air, and have so many things that you're saying that they can't be refuted. So the implication is that one of them must be true or the truth of one of them is carried on to the next yeah. and the next and Absolutely. the next because nobody's refuting it's them. It's very much about quantity rather than quality of argument. <laughs> right. And yeah, and yeah it, it does leave that possibility open that if even if someone tries to refute all of the things you say, if they miss one of the things, then you can basically claim victory yeah. because they didn't even address that. Yeah, yeah. So our second example, which is kind of Trump adjacent, as isn't actually Trump, is right. the leader of Turning Point USA, which is a an organisation that supports Trump heavily. It's a guy I've mentioned before, Charlie Kirk, who is hey. very, very active on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so I picked a day from the last couple of weeks. I picked, uh, in fact, right. a week ago today, Thursday the 13th of June, and I looked at all the tweets that Kirk sent yeah. on that day. He sent 22 tweets. Wow. And yeah. by my count, he made about 45 claims overall in those tweets because some of wow. his, his tweets are just multi, multi-part multi of, of the kinds of things that he's claiming. And he does a thing 
which is often associated with with the Gish Gallop, which is the the acronym is PRATT, P-R-A-T-T, and it stands for Points Refuted a Thousand Times, which is basically just repeating. He's made up a a thing and then says it because it has an impact and people will go, well, that's not true and here's why that's not true and they'll explain it in detail and it doesn't have any impact. We'll just keep saying it, keep tweeting the same thing because it's quick and it's easy. When you've already yeah. come up with yeah. it to say that same thing again and yeah. again. And and if you just don't care whether it's true or not, then it doesn't matter. It just yeah, it it adds matter. to the pile of stuff that you're trying to push through. So yeah. of those 22 tweets, there's a lot of nonsense on that day. I'm only going to address two of them because of the time it takes mm-hmm. to address them. Yeah. So the first one, he said, can we investigate Adam Schiff for trying to receive compromising material on Trump from a self-declared Russian in a phone call? This was a prank call he fell for. The caller declared himself a Russian transferring compromising information. Why didn't he report to the FBI? Investigate. So Kirk is essentially saying, you know, all this accusation that Trump and his family should have reported to the FBI, any information that they were offered from the Russians. Look at Adam Schiff. He had a call offering compromising information from the Russians. He didn't report it to the FBI, which would be a reasonable point if it was true. But... (laughs) Right. <laughs> Adam Schiff did get a call from Ukrainians, actually not Russians, or claiming to be in the Ukrainian government and have compromat against Trump, have, uh, including mm. naked pictures from the hotel where supposedly the P tape was filmed. Oh yeah. The thing is, before he took the call, Adam Schiff called the FBI. <laughs> he also yeah. invited the Republican majority to participate in the call. He let them know about it and said, look, this is, this is something that someone's contacted us about. Do you want to be in on the call? Right. Before it yeah. happened. Okay. He, they had the call. Yeah. They documented it. They reported what yeah. had been said to the FBI. And on the call, there's a transcript. And on the call, he said to the people who were offering this material, this is something you should probably send to the FBI. We'll, you know, send it to us and to the FBI yeah. and they'll investigate it. Absolutely. All the things that he's saying that he should have done, he did do. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's a thing. Yeah. But but to find that out, to to see, you know, it's easy to just hear, well, oh, you know, Adam Schiff had this thing and he didn't report it. And if you look at only right wing sources, all you get is the bit where, you know, because the the pranksters, the Ukrainian pranksters put this up on YouTube, the, the recording of the call. So... Yeah, that is the bit Just you hear. Get the call. You yeah. don't see what goes on behind the scenes. So one other tweet yeah. that Kirk sent on this day says the legacy of Obama Biden colon armed ISIS mm-hmm. sold 20 percent of US uranium to Russia, destroyed our healthcare system, highest ever food stamp enrollment. The legacy of Donald Trump, ISIS destroyed peace with Korea, historic economy. <laughs> so okay. there's. There's a lot in there. Yeah. That's one tweet. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, you know, it well, took seconds to send and, and yeah. flips past your timeline before you've really had a chance to take it in properly. But it tells Kirk's followers positive things about Trump, negative yeah. things about Obama. So, yeah, just... And, yeah, completely unsubstantiated stuff. Oh, that's, that's one thing that Kirk is extremely consistent. He does not cite sources. You right. will very yeah. rarely find a link in a Charlie Kirk tweet. He he does not try yeah. to back up his his assertions at all with evidence. And he actively doesn't reply to anything that people say. 
to him about, right. about his tweets. That's the thing, isn't it? It is just an, an assertion. Yeah. But if you can't, there's almost that. If you repeat it a thousand times, somebody says, oh, yeah, I've heard that already. Where did I yeah. hear that before? Well, you know, it was from him you know, 999 times part ago. part of the zeitgeist. That, it's just something yeah. that people yeah. know about because it's come out. It's, it's in there. So, yeah, yeah just to yeah. address a couple of the issues in this tweet itself then. Mm-hmm. Obama slash Biden armed ISIS. <laughs> So I actually tracked down the report that this comes from, and it is from okay, a, a, yeah. a group called Conflict Armament Research. They wrote a report in 2017 right. where they tracked down 40,000 weapons that had been used supposedly by ISIS and figured out where they had come from. They looked at serial numbers, they tracked it back to where the, the weapons were were sourced and, and had been brought into the country and so on. The US had been arming Syrian rebels in the area, in mm-hmm. Syria, so that they could fight against the people who were repressing them and ISIS. So the Conflict Armament Research Report looks at these 40,000 weapons and they detailed one machine gun, two missile tubes and about 80 rockets that they said had come originally from the US. Oh, um, out of the 40,000. 40, and... Right. Those weapons were almost certainly, according to the the CAR report, given from the US to the Syrian rebels and then captured on in combat in on on the battlefield by ISIS and and then yeah. possibly used by ISIS against whoever they were fighting against. So, yeah. is it fair then to say Obama and Biden armed ISIS, or is it more accurate mm-hmm. just to say? The I- ISIS sometimes grabbed the opponent's weapons and used them as well. Yeah, and and three hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine automatic weapons didn't come yeah. from the vast US. majority of the yeah. of the weapons that they had um, and that they identified yeah. came from Russia, China, and Eastern Europe. Ah, so. okay. So it'd be yeah. So it's, it would be fairer to say, in the way that it's unfair to say that they armed ISIS, that China, Russia, and armed armed them. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, Obama, but it's equally um, that's equally unfair. The rebels against ISIS. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as did most of Europe and the rest moving of on the, <laughs> to yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the twenty percent of US uranium that supposedly Obama oh, yeah, sold yeah. to yeah. Russia. Yeah. So this is a, a Russian nuclear agency. They bought a Canadian mining company in I think two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. And the mining company is called Uranium One. They had production rights for mining about twenty percent of the US uranium capacity for, for production. Right. So the Russians took over the Canadian mining company. They they mm-hmm. bought, in doing that, the rights to mine 20% of US uranium, but n- not right. to export it. The company oh, was not oh, allowed okay. to export that uranium outside the US. So the uranium stayed in the US. Yeah. Russia yeah. didn't get any. Right. So, again, not really they didn't sell. selling 20% no. of US uranium to the Russians at all. No, so it's so it's looking. So let's assume that he did look at those reports. Probably not the source material, but someone's opinion on those. Yeah. So even if he did look at the raw material, there's quite a leap to actually 
you know, jump over the mitigating circumstances. Yeah. I mean, Charlie, I'm sure didn't, didn't look at these reports. The, this is the, the no. selling 20% of uranium to Russia is a right wing talking point. Trump has said it multiple times. Mm. It's just, you know, mm. it's one of those things. Kurt will occasionally do a tweet saying something like, this is your daily reminder that Hillary sold 20% yeah. of our uranium to Russia. It's just not true. So the highest ever food stamp enrolment. We'll, we'll, we'll skip straight past Obama destroyed the healthcare system, having put millions of people yeah. onto, onto healthcare that they could afford. Yeah. Pre- um, anyway, straight exactly. past that. Because that's just, <laughs> just yeah, because it's just self-evidently yeah. not right. How on earth? Some convoluted thinking The highest there. ever food stamp enrolment under Obama. That's actually yeah. true. And that yeah. is because Obama took office in a huge recession. <laughs> and, right. I mean, yeah. yeah. And so by December 2012, food stamp recipients in the US were up to 47.8 million. By November 2016, when Obama left office, they were down to 43.2 million. So he got that number of people off food stamps and that trend continued yeah. and Trump took credit for it. <laughs> Once oh, yeah, of course. Off. Yes. The point that I'm trying to make basically is this is one tweet. And it's got yeah. about it's yeah. got about eight claims in it. Um, some of yeah. them are self evidently nonsense, like peace with Korea, yeah. and and dis- and Obama yeah. destroying the healthcare system. Some of them you re- you do need to go away and do research. You do need to look stuff up mm. and figure out w- whether it's true or not before you can just say okay, yes or no. And that's why this is an effective tactic, is because you can just claim something much more easily than you can provide evidence and. Now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics corner. Oh, it's been ex- exciting this week. So I tried to uh, listen to the... We've had a, a Tory leadership contest here, and I wanted to listen to that because there was gish galloping going on all over the place, but I really couldn't stand to. So <laughs> I turned to a friend of the podcast, Nigel Farage. He's turned up before, and he not only does he turn up on our podcast often, he turns up on Question Time, this particular programme, often. Um, Nigel Farage, he's, a, he's an expert gish galloper, really, um, and he's kind of built his entire career on piecing together half-truths and making an implication um, to suit his own purposes. So this is from uh, uh, 11th of December 2014, so this is before the Brexit vote, when he's the leader of the UK Independence Party, UKIP, UKIP, um, and his the raison d'etre for that party was to get out of the European Union. Quite all right, because he was an uh, an MEP, a member of the European at the time. So he he was drawing a wage from the European Parliament, had done for like twenty five years, and was bite, literally biting the hand that feeds him. Um, so here he is stringing together a whole bunch of things, um, and see if you can work out what the implication is. Look, if you fly into Gatwick, uh, you'll see lots of green spaces. That is certainly true. However, if you have a country in which the population goes up as a direct result of immigration, uh, what you find is not a shortage of green fields, if that's where you wanted to build houses, you find a shortage of primary school places. You find a shortage of GP surgeries. You know, we have fewer GPs per head 
than any other country in Europe today. You find congestion, whether it's on the roads or the London Underground or wherever you go. And what you find is that actually you're constantly playing catch-up and, and really the general quality of life for the mass of population has gone down. So he's quite right at the beginning when he says, if you fly into London, you see green, you see green spaces. That certainly is true. And actually, that's the only thing that's true. Um, but even that, we have to take his word for. If you, if one imagines the view of England, probably does from the air include a lot of green spaces because it's quite a green place. Um, outside of London, there's there's the what's known as the Green Belt, where there was a deliberate policy not to build anything. So it's got lots of trees and fields and all that stuff. And let's face it, the whole of the country is run by is owned by seven people who tolerate us on the corners of their land. So it's mostly green fields. But then he does that, and I think it's because the question is about building on Green Belt. Um, but he, in true politician style, turns it around to answer the to make the point he wants to make, which is basically about immigration. So the UK Independence Party was all about not letting people in uh, because they're a drain on resources, as well as you know the Euro- European being European Parliament being a a force for evil and blah 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 take our sovereignty blah 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 all that. So what is alarming is that he puts in these completely unsubstantiated facts like how, where is the evidence for we have fewer GPs per head than anybody else in Europe? We just made that up. Um, and the other bit about, uh, he says, it's not only that, you also get congestion. <laughs> so he's playing it We and everybody knows there's too too many cars on the road or, or rather everyone's – experience sitting in a traffic jam the implication being that there are too many cars on the road because there are too many immigrants in the country not because the car industry is is configured such that um everybody needs to buy another car and also that the traffic jams are brought about so at this point there is a exclusion zone in london to cut down the congestion in central london which mean that those cars have moved further out from london so they are going there are going to be more of them so possibly people will experience traffic jams more often and on the underground and all that stuff so it's what is frightening about this and we'll hear somebody say that oh no he doesn't say it um but what is frightening about this is it's all very familiar matey stuff this is farage's persona is the man down a pub with a fag in one hand and a pint in the other and he'll he'll talk to you like he's like a cab driver you know who moans about stuff he's down the pub and the kind of things that you experience um as an ordinary person and he does the little switcheroo, which is to say, well, you know, well, that's all down to, it's all down to immigrants. And you find yourself agreeing because you've gone along with the gallop and before you know it, you're at the finish post and he's led you there. Um, so in order to refute this, in the self-same programme, the next person to speak is another friend of our show, Russell Brand. And, uh, and he says this. I know a lot of people are frightened in our country. I know a lot of people are feeling afraid and frustrated. 
And there is a sense that there is a corrupt, corrupt group in our country using our resources, taking away our jobs, taking away our housing, not paying taxes, exploiting us. And there is. There is an economic elite that this man's party is funded by, that this man is the back, comes from background working in the city. Let me tell you something. There was an economic crash and a lot of money was lost. His mates in the city farted. Nigel Farage is pointing at immigrants and the disabled and holding his nose. Immigrants are not causing the economic problems and suffering we're experiencing. So the thing about this is here's where I experienced cognitive bias because Russell Brown, for all his posed persona as much as uh, Farage, so Russell Brown is a kind of a bit of a lounge lizard, a rue. Um, he's, a, he's another man of the people. You know, he's an ex-drug addict. He's got, he's got marvellous teeth and, uh, and he's quite funny and he's popular and accessible but he's just as much a character as Farage is. And I think he's as guilty of doing a gish gallop just as much as Farage is because he makes the leap from, yes, people are frightened these days, but there are there is an elite group that's bringing this about. So there's the uh, we are forced to make that leap. And you think, well, OK, well, where's your evidence for that? And then he says, you know, there was an economic crash and we know there's an economic crash. And then he makes that into it being Farage and his cronies, i.e. the banking system, who are um, denying responsibility for it and heaping all the blame onto the you know, immigrants and the disabled. So my cognitive biases, I find that quite an appealing um, argument. So, and and it just in hearing those two, I found his approach on first hearing was the one I agreed with. But then I realised, well, it's just as unsubstantiated as Farage's stuff. Um, and I could see that, in fact, half the audience applauds Farage and the other half applauds Russell Brand. And that's just how it is. So there are people who agree with one and don't agree with the other. But based on nothing but, I suspect, how they feel in the first place. Yeah. And I these I, two, neither of these, them is convincing anyone. It's all rhetoric rather than actual. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. These two, yeah. these two oratorical experts are just using the right kinds of words to the right kind of people. So they are playing to their own galleries yeah, they're, and they're very good at it. They're, they're, the, um, the, pro- the problem is, so Farage, in his latest incarnation as the leader of the Brexit party, um, having left UKIP because they got the referendum, UKIP didn't need to exist anymore, it got absorbed pretty much into the um, Tory party. Then he realised we haven't left yet, so he started the Brexit party in order to try and leave again. Um, he was being interviewed on Andrew Marr's show on a Sunday quite recently on the BBC, and he was complaining to Andrew Marr that he that Andrew Marr was asking him all these questions about, well, so do you still believe that immig- immigrants are to blame for everything? Um, instead of asking him about the, the runaway success of his Brexit party. And that's because the problem with gish galloping is... Um, 
people are writing down all this shit that you say and they will hold you to account for it at some point. That's 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 why you have to do the the Pratt move and just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep reiterating this bollocks and don't let anybody say, so that thing that you said four years ago, do you still believe that? That's, you know, because he just does it all the time so he can't remember what you said. So, um, yeah, he gets out of it so by, that, by saying, oh, you know, there are really important things that we're talking about and you mm. you keep asking me about this completely unimportant stuff. Um, yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, what, I, what, what I want to really say is, you know, let me be clear, yeah. and it's quite important that what we need to talk about is this. Yes, Never rather than... Uh, exactly, and, and also shifting the blame... And saying this is that's the problem with the BBC today. They don't ask the important questions. <laughs> well, they do, which is yeah, all that stuff that you said four years ago. Was it true, or did you just make it up in order to win votes? Because I suspect you're doing that right now, which he was. Yeah. You know, he was doing the same gish gallopy stuff. Um, okay, so our, uh, so that was just that's part one and one A and one B for a, a bonus. Um, the second example is this is so this is James O'Brien on uh, LBC Radio, uh, which is uh, London radio um, talk radio station. He's interviewing Jacob Rees-Mogg on the 20th of January this year. I've read a brilliant um, description of Jacob Rees-Mogg as an 18th century Nazi Charles Hawtrey, except we then have to explain to the US who Charles Hawtrey was what the 18th century was, and that Nazis are bad. <laughs> so uh, that was quite, quite amazing. Jacob Rees-Mogg uh, belongs to the right wing of the Tory party. He runs what's called the European Research Group, which is neither European, doesn't conduct much research, and isn't really a group, and um, but they're just the kind of right wing, no deal Brexiteers who I suspect there's a bit of jump bandwagon jumping going on in order to you know, just maneuver into power and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, James O'Brien, who is a uh, a left wing skeptic, shall we say, when it comes to the whole Brexit nonsense, he's quite. Um, he's been described as a Jedi master um, when it comes to playing mind games on people that call in. He's very, very good at listening to what people say and and saying it back to them almost as soon as they've said it. Um, so here he is. He's trying to establish what Rhys Mogg sees as the good things about a no-deal Brexit, I guess beyond his own personal gains. What can you see that all of the people who warn against coming uh, out with no-deal can't see? I can see what they've got wrong before and why... I'm asking about the past. I'm asking about the future. What can the, you the see that they a, can't see? The past is a very useful guide to the future because you can see why people are making the judgments. The CBI protects incumbent interests and therefore it always goes uh, for things that are not for the consumer interest but the producer interest. Yes, okay. The Governor of the Bank of England is a deeply politicised figure who has been anti-Brexit from the moment it was uh, proposed. What can I see? I can see the opportunities of cheaper food, clothing and footwear, helping most of all the but income Absolutely, well nobody, in our absolutely nobody agrees with you. Because we can cut tariffs, we can absolutely nobody agrees with you. Even the Sun, even the Sun newspaper withdrew these claims. It's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity. 
opportunity people. It is no longer freedom. shackled to the failed economic model of the European Union, which has the euro and high unemployment and even Germany going into recession. It is a wonderful opportunity for our nation. You should rejoice and be proud of what our hoping, country can do. I was do. hoping to have reasons for rejoicing at the end of this conversation. <laughs> there you go. That, for me, is the quintessence of a gish gallop. It's a whole list of barely true thoroughly compelling, noble-sounding statements. Yeah. And if he's tried to go into detail why each one was not true, it would take such a... And O'Brien's trying to counter it by saying nobody agrees with you, you know, Mm. which is shortcut for all of the experts have looked at this and they all disagree, even the inexpert, rabble-rousing, right-wing newspaper The Sun has withdrawn its support for any of those statements. So, you know, it's a perfectly valid question. What is it that you can see that these people have, uh, you know, all disagreed with? Where Where is your um, expertise coming from? And it doesn't come from anywhere except a kind of a rather plummy um, Victorian stovepipe-hatted uh, way of saying just a bunch of things that sound fairly aspirational and noble and wonderful and something that's to, to rejoice. You know, nobody uses the word rejoice. <laughs> you know, it, 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 what? And it's just, and it really is the only way to listen yeah. to Rees-Mogg. If you don't, if Americans who don't know what Jacob Rees-Mogg looks like, whatever you were picturing when you heard his voice. 19th century Nazi that's, Charles Hall. That's what he looks like. <laughs> that's exactly what he looks like, yeah. There he is. <laughs> Noel Gallagher. Yeah. Live from the Isle of Wight, singing Fallacy in the Wild. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, a bit of Packle Bell's Canon in there. If you listen to Packle Bell's Canon, you kind of go, oh, that's Canon in D, Canon in D minor. It's the same on, on Oasis. Stole it all. Excellent. So, in the Fallacy in the Wild, we like to talk about the Fallacy of the Week from a non-political perspective, and uh, we're not getting super far from politics in the first example, because uh, right. it's about climate change. The Gish Gallop works really well yep. when you are trying to convince people of something that you have very little evidence for, because you can just say things <laughs> that, that aren't evidence-based, uh, but say a lot of yep. them. And so this example is from... A guy called Mark Murano, who was the communications director mm. for Senator James Inhofe, who is the guy who who brought a snowball uh, onto the Senate floor to to prove that global warming wasn't real because snowballs exist. <laughs> right. And and Mark Murano is a is a climate change skeptic. He was on a program where they they had a a young person who believes in climate change, essentially kind of trying to debate against people who don't believe in climate change. And uh, mm. and he said. 
this. Uh, and I'm talking from the Arctic, which is now 9,000 Manhattans over the low point of 2007. Sea level, which contrary to predictions of it accelerating, has actually dropped, an historic drop, according to the European Space Agency and NASA. Polar bears out on their historic population high. Global temperatures that hit their high point in 1998. Claims of 2005, 2010 being the hottest years are based on hundreds of a degree Fahrenheit. It's a political yeah. statement. You can't even get a margin of error to even approach what they're claiming. 111 countries, Gallup did a survey. The majority of the human race isn't afraid of global warming. That was a lot. Wow. <laughs> a lot to unpack That was there. great. You can't even get a margin of error to even approach that. <laughs> yeah. So... Wow. That was 32 seconds yeah. of climate change denial in yeah. which he managed to fit in about seven or eight claims. Yeah. None of which are, well, let's say entirely accurate. There yeah. are there are things in there which are taken out of context. There are, there's cherry picking. Yeah. There is, and as I mentioned earlier on, you know, this, this often incorporates a lot of different kinds of mm. fallacies. Right at the end there, there was an argument from popularity saying that, that yeah. most people aren't afraid of global warming. Which has nothing at all to do with whether global nothing warming to do is real. with whether it exists or not. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you know, most yeah. Yeah, tigers exist, <laughs> and and yet most people aren't afraid of them because they don't exist near yeah. us. So, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. This was, this was in an Australian TV program, and Australian Guardian journalist uh, Graham Redfern did a, uh, a yeah. blog debunking all of the claims in this video. It took 32 seconds to say all those claims, but it took Graham mm -hmm. Redfern about a thousand words and about four or five charts to debunk yeah. them. And actually, he wow. did it pretty quickly. He didn't go into a lot of detail on any of them. And mm -hmm. I will link mm -hmm. his blog post about this in the show notes at fallaciousstrump.com slash FT28. And you can see what Redfern has to say about this. Also, we mentioned that part of this tactic is that you can't cover everything and if you miss something, then the person can basically claim victory. Mm. And even in the blog post covering this, Redfern talks about the Arctic sea ice, the sea level rises, what you mentioned about the... the uh, hundreds of a degree, you know, can't get, you can't even get a margin of error to get yeah. anywhere near that. Yeah, but even, even in the blog you post can. specifically yeah. debunking this video, he missed one. He missed the yeah. thing about polar bears. No. Because you, it's really hard to, to kind of do everything in there. And the polar bears thing yeah. is wrong too. Even at the time, this was in 2011, there were 19 distinct populations of polar bears in Canada and the Arctic. Yeah. And they knew that there was a couple that were increasing. And that's what he's saying is that the polar bear populations are increasing. Right. There were two that were increasing yeah. in numbers of, of polar bears. There were two that were decreasing, but the vast majority they mm -hmm. didn't have numbers on. They don't, they, they kind of right. know they're there and where they are roughly and roughly how many there are, but they're not tracking whether it's going up or down. Yeah. So it's not true to say, polar bear numbers yeah. generally increasing they were still at that time and are still heading for the endangered list there are estimates that by 2050 the population of polar bears will be down by 30 percent so again that's not true that didn't even make it into the blog post specifically debunking this video yeah so yeah. it is it's one of those again this is an example of of needing a lot of research and, and mark morano is not a climate scientist he's he's a yeah. um, communications director he's a lobbyist he's not an expert in this he 
has talking points and he repeats them. And he knows, he must know that these are not true or not accurately portraying the real situation because he's specifically choosing a part of a graph where it goes in one direction as opposed to in Mm. the general Mm. trend of the graph. And if you're not a climate scientist and if you're not someone who knows about this stuff, it's hard to debunk. You have to do some research. Our last example is to explain yep. why it's called a gish gallop. Ah, yes, yes, yes. we haven't really addressed that. And it's because of a, no. a, a specific creationist called Dwayne Gish who used to yep. uh, do a lot of debates. He's He died a few years ago, but he was in something like 300 debates with evolutionary biologists about evolution wow. versus creationism. And he was an extremely prolific user of the Pratt technique of just, he had the same arguments Mm -hmm. he made again and again, and it didn't matter how many times he was proven wrong to his face. He would just say the same arguments again in the next debate. Because again, it was about the number of arguments that you could get out. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this one, but I will link uh, in the show notes a transcript of a debate that he had against a evolutionary biologist called Ken Saladin. And it was a 45-minute opening statement that Gish made. And he uses arguments from ignorance, from personal incredulity, from authority. Mm -hmm. He uses post hoc ergo propter hoc. He uses um, Mm -hmm. so many different fallacies. And he he makes so many claims. I I was originally, when when I kind of looked at this transcript, going to just kind of make a list of the biggest mistakes and things like that and, and say them but it's I, mm. it was too overwhelming the, <laughs> the, the number yeah. of things that he talks about so check out the show notes fallaciousTrump.com slash ft28 and you can see a link to an example of a debate by Dwayne gish there are others on youtube you can look at and the reason i haven't got a clip is that this is a 45 minute statement that he makes and that there isn't a kind of, uh, you know, a one minute thing where he says five or six different arguments. Yeah. But he does transition from, well, I mean, uh, among the things he does is is talking <laughs> the many, about yeah. uh, the, the origin of the universe and claiming that, that evolution, you know, doesn't explain that. It's not designed to explain yeah. that. It's about how no. one species yeah. turns into another species. It's quite an education to watch Dwayne Gish. He's a really no. good debater. He was good at refuting things that other people said and and yeah. pointing out flaws, but a lot of what he said wasn't actually backed up by evidence and in, yeah. in a lot yeah. of cases was directly refuted and, and he didn't care. He just kept saying it. How about that? Having a fallacy named <laughs> after you... That's really cool, isn't it? So before we move on to fake news this week, I just want to address uh, a little bit of feedback that we had. Uh, we had, uh, in a, for our last episode, we had actually quite a lot of feedback with email and on Twitter and on Facebook. And thank you so much, everyone who got in touch with us. Yeah. Please keep doing that. Please keep getting in touch. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and a couple of people questioned one thing that I said about Bernie Sanders in our breakdown of the Democratic candidates. I said that that Bernie did not endorse Hillary Clinton. And and that is one of the reasons that I feel less encouraged by him this time round. And, and I think that a Democratic yeah. candidate who got to that stage of the last two would have done more rather than an independent can- candidate like Bernie. A couple of people mm-hmm. said, actually, look, here's evidence that Bernie Sanders did endorse Hillary Clinton. And they, they uh, linked to articles from July 2016 
and that's brilliant please tell us if we say something wrong that's yeah. great we want yeah. to know but <laughs> i would point out <laughs> that those articles were from july 12th he he did endorse hillary clinton at that point but hillary got the democratic nomination on june 6th so for five more weeks uh, after that, when she was yeah, the, the yeah. presumptive Democratic candidate, he continued to campaign yeah. against her, to criticise her, to tell his followers not to support her before mm. he eventually mm. said, OK, we have to join together oh, to beat Trump. Yeah. And he did a lot of damage during that period that yeah, meant exactly. that some of his supporters yeah. did not follow her. And either Possibly voted more than Trump. Comey himself. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was wrong when I said that Bernie didn't endorse Hillary, but I stand by the fact that his his continued running against her and criticism of her did, did serious damage to her campaign. So, yeah. But thank you yeah. for for pointing it out to me, and please continue to do that. So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. Yeah, and I'm currently running at 10 out of 26. You are. And, because, yeah, and that's uh, an, actually yeah. another thing I got wrong last time is I, I, I said you were at 40% because I thought it was 10 out of 25, but you, you're actually... Uh, well, you see, that's, yeah. why, that's why you can't be trusted at all because you can't add up. The, uh, the BBC are out to get us. <laughs> the earth is flat. And um, and just generally uh, the, the Illuminati are running everything. Yeah, so I'm not going to address any of those points. I'm just going to move straight on. <laughs> um, this, the theme this week is about polls because okay. it's recently come out that uh, Trump fired pollsters who pointed out He didn't like the numbers polls. from... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't like their internal polling that said that Biden was going to beat Trump or could beat Trump, so he got rid of the pollsters. Yeah. Yeah. So, statement number one. We have one poll where the pollster said, anybody that says, I don't want to talk to you, I don't want to tell you, I don't want to even discuss it. And they also added another two words when they call up and they'd say these two horrible words, anybody in that category, it's 100% vote for Trump. And what they've done is they don't count that, but now this one counts that. It's 100%. Statement number two. Okay, right. We do very little polling because I'm not a huge believer in polling. I think you go out there and you fight and you don't really need polls. You need ideas more than polls, but we have some internal polling, very little, and it's unbelievably strong. The strongest I've ever been is exactly today. <laughs> well, even though I don't believe in them, and yeah, state, they're unbelievably strong. Three. Yeah. We're doing tremendously in the polls. Okay. We're seeing numbers like never before, especially among Hispanics. And what they say, what the pollsters say, is that with Trump and polls, whatever the number is, you can add 20, because for whatever reason, people are ashamed to admit how much they love me. It's true. And that's what is it's yeah, there you go. There he just puts it's true on the end and then that makes it true. Yeah. That's yeah. Mm. That first one, the where the pollster said anybody says I don't want to talk to you, they put that down the hundred percent vote. There was one vote allegedly, or was it true in the Brexit vote where uh, no in the European vote recently for the MEPs where somebody put um, bollocks, 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 <laughs> not bollocks, and then not bollocks was counted as a vote for that party yeah, rather than bad. a spoiled vote for the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we've a one pulse where they said, anybody said that, see, that's just completely so messed up. That's it's, it's, 
too damn true for words, isn't it? We're doing tremendously in the bowls. We're doing very little bowls. I'm not a huge believer. See, that one looks like it's very cleverly written because he does the believe and then the unbelievably. Um, you can add 20 because whatever reason people show. Okay, I think... Oh, though that one about Hispanics, I recall him saying something about Hispanics early, early on. Okay, I think number three is the one you made up. Okay, so which of the other two do you think Mm -hmm. you're more confident about? I'm more confident about number one, mainly because I want to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. So number one is... Yeah. Is... Real. But we have one poll where... The pollster said, anybody that says, I don't want to talk to you, I don't want to tell you, I don't want to even discuss it. And they also added another two words when they call up and they say these two horrible words. Anybody in that category, it's a 100% vote for Trump. And what they've done is they don't count that. But now this one counts that. It's 100%. What? The hell so is he even saying, talking I about? Is that yeah that they call these people up to get who they're going to vote yeah. for, and if people say "fuck off," I don't want yeah. to talk to you. Previously, they don't they write that down as a vote for Trump because it's not. Because it isn't. Yeah. yeah, it's just somebody saying I'm not even going to talk to you about it. And now but this, they, yeah, but this one poll, which is the kind of yeah. internal polling he likes, they're counting that. If people uh, tell them to fuck off, they're counting that as a vote for Trump. <laughs> yeah, because but there's two horrible words. Because I, so I think horrible, one of those yeah, isn't off, off, presumably. So it's yeah, it's, well, no, off isn't horrible, is it? In you context, know, it's just functional. It just goes, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So is he happy about that? Is he for happy revealing that? He seems he just fine can't with it, yeah. keep anything a secret, can he? He's going, yeah, it's great. You see, before when we weren't allowed to count the people that said, "Don't count my vote," <laughs> we weren't allowed to yeah. do that. But now we count yeah. those, and do you know what? We've got loads more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you count people who so have said they're going to vote. I don't vote for you. Loads of people say they're going to vote for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the people that say, I don't want to vote for you, I don't even want to talk to you about voting, we've counted those as a vote for me because fundamentally that's what I'm doing for people. I'm empowering the people that are (laughs) unhappy about the voting system. So you also think number two is is, uh, real? Yeah. Number two. Not confident. Yeah. Is. Is. Real. Yeah. We do very little polling because I'm not a huge believer in polling. I think you go out there and you fight and you don't really need polls. You have to, you need ideas more than polls. But uh, we have some internal polling, very little, and it's unbelievably strong. The strongest I've ever been is exactly today. <laughs> it's, see, I thought, <laughs> but I, yeah, I nearly didn't think that was real because it's too good of a setup, isn't it? So I'm not a huge believer. I don't believe in that. You need ideas more than polls, but we, but we do have some. We do have and, some, and it's brilliant. And do you know why? It's really the polling that I believe in. It's brilliant. Shows that I'm brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, because I don't believe it. But how old is that? That's actually really recent. Ideas more that than is um, really that is in the last three, two, three weeks. It's yeah. just so naive, and he hasn't. <laughs> he hasn't actually. 
it's not. I wanted to, the two words I wanted to use: advanced <laughs> or developed. No. Were they were you know they're not even coming out of my mouth. <laughs> it just hasn't pr- progressed. No, nothing evolved. No, no, nothing is working. Over the three years he's been in, nothing has changed. Well, which means that yeah, you're on a roll. Oh, oh you are. Oh, hello. Yeah, you've won again. I think this is possibly three or four in a row. Oh my god! Um, it so can't yeah, last. you are now on eleven out of twenty-seven, which is, if my math is right, uh, over forty percent. Yeah. Wow. So. And um, did you write the third one? I did, or yeah, that was that, that guess, was all me. Guest appearance. Yeah, so. It was. It was uh, good. Uh, it's not, not like good the, enough. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm not good enough. No, it was the little. It's true on the end. I think hours <laughs> of fading. Yeah, so we won't put the appeal out. But you know, if you fancy your chances, bring it on. Bring it on. I can spot them a mile off. Yeah, yeah. not up close, but a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> So it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called Katie Porter is Not a Logical Fallacy. Yay! We talked a few episodes ago about Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, and it's time to Mm. talk about one of her fellow freshman congresswomen, the representative for the California 45th District, uh, Katie Porter, who is just awesome. She's fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she and the, yeah. the reason that that we're talking about her this week is because she has just come out in favour of impeachment. Basically, partly I think based on having actually read the Mueller report, and yeah, as, as Nancy Pelosi read it, yeah, I, yeah, she, she has, gonna... and, and I think this, the the interesting thing is that that Katie Porter is in a district which was traditionally Republican. It's it's been fairly staunchly ah, right. red okay. up until. Uh, up until Trump, basically, and they kind of got a bit more right. interested in Democrats. And Katie Porter won won her district by four points in 2016. So she is an in she is one of the Congress people in a less safe district. And like right. Justin Amash, right. uh, the Republican guy who is almost certainly going to lose his seat in the next election because he's he's in favour of impeachment. But, you know, he, he has some integrity and thinks that it's more important to, to mm. talk mm. about impeachment rather than just save his job. Katie Porter yeah. is, is talking <laughs> about impeachment despite potentially that putting her in an unsafe position in yeah. a traditional yeah. Republican district. So mm. I think, and, and some people are saying, many people are saying that uh, one of the reasons Nancy Pelosi is not in favour of impeachment and, and hasn't been pushing it has been out of concern for people like Katie Porter, Democrats who are in uh, in, okay. in potentially unsafe districts and, and fear that they will lose their seats, basically, uh, and, yeah. and therefore possibly lose the House and yeah. negative things happening yeah. Yeah. while there's no real possibility of the Senate convicting Trump. So mm. Mm. with people like Katie Porter and people in those in those areas, uh, and more Democrats coming out in favour of impeachment, I think it might be the way to push Pelosi more towards agreeing and going down mm. that route. But getting back to Katie Porter, <laughs> she's, as I said, freshman congresswoman, and she is a, a law professor. She studied under um, Elizabeth Warren. She is a consumer rights advocate, and she is really impressive in congressional hearings when she is 
questioning people, they they have mm-hmm. to have done their research. Otherwise, they're going to be made yeah. to look stupid. And <laughs> yeah, and particularly if they are pretty stupid, like probably the world's <laughs> stupidest brain surgeon, Ben Carson, who yeah, <laughs> who um yeah. Well, I've got a clip. She she asked him, and you've almost certainly heard or seen this before, but um, she asked him about REOs, which are real estate-owned uh, properties, and uh, and yeah. he didn't quite know what she was talking about. And he is the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. I'd also like you to get back to me, if you don't mind, to explain the disparity in REO rates. Do you know what an REO is? An REO? R. No, not an Oreo. Uh, uh, an R E O. R E O. Real estate. What's the O stand for? E organization. Owned. Real estate owned. That's what happens when a property goes to foreclosure. We call it an R E O. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yes, it's real estate. Oh, uh, and you're in charge of the thing. It's amazing. Oh, so, yeah, great, she is. One of her things is when there is a congressional hearing, she will actually question the the person who's under examination, basically under questioning, to, to find out if they know anything about what they're supposed to be talking about. Mm. Rather than yeah. just specifically yeah. questioning them about what the, the purpose of the hearing is, they, she, she kind of does mm. the background and does the, the, the research for herself so that she knows what she's talking about. And a lot of this is from her consumer advocacy and law work that she already knows this stuff, but she will question them to find out what, whether their level of expertise is sufficient to actually be doing the job and to be answering the questions that they're supposed to be answering. And, And she repeatedly uncovers people who really shouldn't be there. (laughs) Like Ben Carson, who, who hasn't, in the, I mean, he's been in that job for a while and he hasn't taken the time to really learn anything about, because that's, REO isn't that obscure a thing. It's not, it's not yeah. like a, yeah. You know, well, yeah, it's certainly not in, in the consumer yeah. um, it, rights it, world. It, it's, you know, it's, it happens all it's the time. reasonably yeah. well known and he should know about mm. it. Um, and Particularly if you're in charge of the bloody thing. Yes. Yeah. And, and. When she was questioning Kathy Craninger, the director of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, whose job it is mm-hmm. to make sure that consumers understand financial products and, and protect yep. them to make sure that they are being sold to accurately, she went a little bit beyond <laughs> the, the questioning that the person was right. expecting. Could you please explain to this committee the difference between an interest rate and an APR? So the APR is the is the extrapolation if it were a one year term uh, in terms of the loan. So that's the, the calculation that uh, is laid out in in TILA in particular. So if I take the stated interest rate and do the math to deal with the fact that it's annualized, the APR, I would be correct. Yes. Okay. Um, Ms. Kroeninger, the annual percentage rate, and I'll be happy to send you a copy of the textbook that I wrote, explains <laughs> that the APR is derived from the finance charge, the amount financed, and the payment schedule. It's a mathematical transformation of those three numbers into the cost of credit expressed yes. at a yearly rate. Over simplification, I understand uh, that you know well. Well, my concern is whether you know well, ma'am, because you are the one responsible for making sure that American consumers know well when they take on loans. 
That is so brilliant. Fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> when you just go, yeah, wait a minute, I wrote the manual. Yeah. I wrote the textbook. Let me just quote you from the textbook, which I wrote. <laughs> that is so good, isn't it? It is absolutely that's, that's perfect. That's like being a superhero, isn't it? And in this... <laughs> Who just go, oh, yeah. Yeah, in this question... How often is that like? No, that's, how long yeah, has she been wait, waiting the for the holy that? grail just of, brilliant, for an academic yeah. to be able to do that. It's great. <laughs> so, but, yeah, in this in this questioning... She asked Kreninger to to ballpark the APR on a particular kind of loan. She gave a very basic details, mm-hmm. like ten percent loan, hundred dollar loan, two two weeks. What's the APR? And she could could not even come close to to having a guess at it. And wow. and the problem yeah. is that that's what consumers are being asked to do when they are mm. trying to compare different rates to, yep. to see whether a particular loan is cheaper than another loan. And the people at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau are supposed to be making sure that that is possible for consumers. Yeah. Supposed to be helping And, you know, and that they are them. protected in, in, that trans, in those transactions. Yeah, the, 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 the stuff is made completely obvious and clear or that they point out when it's being deliberately obscured yeah. in order to make it hard for the consumer to make an informed decision. And if they can't do it themselves, then what's the point of them being in office? Uh, well, that's fundamentally the question, isn't it, being yeah, posed by the, the Democrats? That's the unspoken question, isn't it? So yeah. So we, we love Katie Porter. She's brilliant. She is we love her. really intelligent and does her research and anyone who's going up against her should do their research so that they don't look like idiots and, and is not afraid to ask ask those questions Absolutely. of people who have been resting on their laurels trading on their position in authority you know as a as you know, they're been, appealing to their own authority despite yeah. having no expertise in the field yeah <laughs> and finally some things we really don't have time to talk about the Office of Special Counsel, an independent government agency that oversees the behaviour of federal employees, has recommended that Kellyanne Conway be immediately fired for, quote, egregious, notorious and ongoing, end quote, violations of the Hatch Act, a statute that prohibits federal employees from taking part in political campaigns while on duty, like the time Kellyanne told people in her official capacity as counsellor to the president to vote for accused paedophile Roy Moore or the literally dozens of other times she did something similar. She doesn't seem too worried, telling one journalist, blah, 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 tell me when the jail sentence starts. Of course she's not worried. Trump isn't going to do anything about it, because in his administration, breaking the law isn't a bug, it's a feature. (laughs) In a move absolutely guaranteed to cast the last shred of doubt that he could possibly be capable of collusion from the minds of, well, just about everyone... Trump told ABC News that if he was offered dirt on his 2020 opponent, I'd want to hear it, adding that he'd probably only tell the FBI, quote, if I thought there was something wrong, unquote. Well, just like the last time, I guess. Yeah, remind me how that's working out for you again, Donnie. On Flag Day, the official White House Twitter account deliberately tweeted a picture of Trump dry-humping the American flag at CPAC like a fucking maniac. (laughs) For some reason, they thought it was a good thing that the president thinks that's what patriotism looks like. Weirdly, some people think the flag should be treated with a bit more respect, but after all, when you're a star, the flag lets you do it. Yeah, you can just grab it by the pole. 
In more echoes of Back to the Future, this time where Marty parts the DeLorean behind the sign for Lions Estates and there's no estate, Trump Heights was announced in Israel. But there's no heights, just a bit of scenery, some artificial grass and some pomp, but no circumstance, as even the founder of the Knesset Caucus for the Golan, Kahol Levan Mukzvi Hauser, observed... Anyone who reads the fine print of the historic decision understands that this is a conceptual decision. There is no funding, there is no planning, there is no location, and there really is no committed decision. Netanyahu's government has made a brilliant move. After all, what does Trump love more than seeing his name in golden letters on a big sign? The main thing is the picture. Who's going to check afterwards whether a community is built there or not? The honour has already been bestowed. The facts are marginal. It's a, it's a fantastic metaphor for the Trump presidency, isn't it's it? Brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. It is. It's just yeah. Trump's naming lights. No, no planning. No funding. No committed decision. No, <laughs> no. and just by a foreign dictator yeah. mainly. You know, somebody who wants to stamp out yeah, a race of other people. In fact, just, even have any yeah. power. Because he's not no, because he's in a temporary moment. government. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's even it's not even a uh, uh, it's not even it's just a temporary yeah. decision. Not no, it's a temporary <laughs> decision not to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Last week in the Gulf of Tonkin, sorry, Gulf of Oman, two Japanese tankers were attacked, and Mike Pompeo, who really, really seems to want to go to war with Iran, says Iran did it with underwater limpet mines, and they totally have evidence, but they aren't going to show you because reasons. Unfortunately for Mike, the owner of one of the tankers says the crew saw a projectile flying towards the ship before the explosion, and the damage is all well above the waterline. But that's just crazy. I mean, the US government would not lie about a foreign aggressor to justify going to war. Oh, wait. Right, so here's the thing. You're making a film about a spy in the White House and it turns out that, no, it was the president all along. Well, what a damn great plot twist that would be. Yeah, forget it. It's been done. A report in the New York Times says top people in the US military and Trump's own government are attempting to evade filling Trump in on the details of an anti-Russian espionage effort because of an informed suspicion that Donald Trump might well sabotage their efforts on behalf of their Russian targets. Okay, what that actually is, is that they are behaving with at least some consideration that Trump as president may either be acting as foreign agent or is simply so incapable of restraint that he could expose intelligence details he's been given in order to ingratiate himself with or merely make small talk with foreign visitors slash dictators. That's what you get, you see, when you call your lead character after the British slang for noise that comes out of an arse. I, for one, wouldn't green like that movie. Not realistic enough. Evangelical Trump supporters are about to get a lesson in the law of unintended consequences. Trump's latest proposed tariffs on China include 25% or more on printed material. Fun fact, the overwhelming majority of Bibles in the US are printed in China. And according to a spokesman from mm-hmm. publishers HarperCollins... Due to the unique paper, printing and binding needs of Bible production, there are simply no US vendors that could produce any significant portion of the volume needed to meet demands of the US market, adding that a 25% tariff could result in a Bible shortage. 
It looks like people are going to have to not read something else instead. This week in the UK, we were treated to the return of the spectacle of government as described by the situationists in 1960s revolutionary Paris through televised debates between Tory leadership hopefuls vying to appear the most socialist. Us poor gawping souls in the TV audience have no actual say over who gets to go through to the next round. That's down to other MPs. And we don't even get to vote on the final choice. This is the very opposite of Love Island. As at James Melville accurately tweeted, Britain is a country where a new prime minister will be chosen by 0.3% of the electorate to form a government that doesn't have a majority in a party that's at 20% in the polls to try and deliver something that most of the country doesn't want. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ftrump. You can also connect with us and other listeners at the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallacious trump and also the merseyside skeptic society run by friend of the show michael marshall are having a 10th anniversary event in liverpool on july 6th mark and i will be there so if you're in the area fancy a day of skeptical fun go to mssx.co.uk to get tickets and come and say hi all music is by the outbursts and was used with permission so until next time on fallacious trump we'll leave the last word to the donald That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye! So, that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. If you can find... No, why do I say if you can every time? You can find the show notes. You can find them. Good luck to you. (laughs)